Great news. God answers prayer. We have been praying for the last 18 months since we started and got together a, a committee, a search committee, a pulpit committee. And we as a congregation have been praying. And we have been listening to what God wants us to hear. He has sent us special people to talk to us over that period of time. Pastor Norm, Guy Brewer, Pastor Chris Spitters had laid upon us what was on his heart. And I truly know that this is God's doing. Because if we weren't praying, God wouldn't be listening. But we were praying and God listened. And God spoke to the heart of Pastor David. And it's with great uh, pleasure <laughs> that I introduce to you our new senior pastor, David Culp. help if I turn that on, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, good morning, and let me just, uh, let me just say how delighted uh, I am, my wife, uh, my boys, that we are to be with you, and uh, it's really hard to articulate how excited that we are. Uh, as Jim shared all along um, this process, we have felt God's hand and God moving and God directing. And to be here today, kind of the culmination of that series of events that started for us not 18 months ago, but, uh, but uh, after the first of the year. And now today we stand before you. We're excited. And to use that term that you've kind of picked up on and you've had in some of your publications to use that uh, phrase from the song from my generation, the future is so bright, you've got to wear shades. So you guys look that song up. Some of you have no clue what that, you've never heard that song. But that's a song from my, uh, my childhood. So future so bright, you've got to wear shades. I hope that you came this morning with that sense that God has a bright, wonderful future for First Church. I hope that uh, you came with that anticipation of what God is birthing here uh, and what he's going to do uh, both in this community and around our world. It's exciting to hear what God is doing through this church in Hungary and uh, talking about working in Paraguay, and so it's exciting. Take your Bible, if you would, on this first Sunday for us together and turn to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to go in, let me just kind of chart the course for us over the next few weeks Starting this morning, we're going to be in chapter 1, and we're going to look through the first few chapters of the book of Nehemiah, kind of probably through the end of September. So if you want to read ahead and study ahead, you can certainly do that, and we're going to look at, at chapter, chapter 1 this morning. And let me just say as you, as a little disclaimer as you're looking that uh, uh, portion of Scripture, I would encourage you if you uh, grab a pew Bible or bring your Bible with you, we're going to, uh, we're going to use it a lot, so please uh, bring a Bible with you, that'd be great. Um, let me just give a little disclaimer. If you've seen us out this week, like at stores or the grocery store or, you know, different places, and we've ignored you, uh, please accept my humble apology. 
Uh, and just come up and introduce yourself. I feel like I'm missing people because I'm sure probably some of you. Did anybody see us out this week? And we just ignored you? Okay. So I did. <laughs> so I'm sorry. You know, I'm, uh, so please just come up and talk to us, all right? We had a family uh, do that last night. And that was awesome. So we, we kind of thought because they were really friendly um, that they were, this place is either really friendly or they know us. So uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. And as we look at this passage, let me just give you some background in what's going on. Nehemiah was a man living in exile. His nation had been invaded. They had been, uh, they had been conquered. The capital, his homeland of Jerusalem, uh, that city had been destroyed, had been decimated. The temple had been torn down. The walls that surrounded the city, uh, which were used in protection in those days, the walls had been destroyed. And as it happened, all of that was the result of God's people living in a state of disobedience. God had warned them and had warned them and had warned them that if they did not turn back to him, that he would bring judgment, and they didn't turn back. They were continued to be walk in disobedience, and he brought judgment. And so here, uh, Nehemiah is living in the result of that. He's been carried away, living in a different country, uh, basically as, as kind of a, uh, in, in exile as a, as a captive. The people began to turn back to God. We see in the book just prior to Nehemiah, the book of Ezra, Chronicles the story of Ezra and a group of people going back and rebuilding the temple was step one. And now here is Nehemiah. Uh, God was beginning to give them what we know in the New Testament as grace. Giving them a second chance. Giving them a chance to redeem themselves. And so they were getting that chance. And here we find ourselves in this first chapter with, again, Nehemiah living in exile. They got a pretty good job working for the king. And he's... Uh, here in this first chapter, and let's read the first few verses together. And he asked for a report from some guys that had traveled back from his homeland about what's going on, starting in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. And look at Nehemiah's response. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. As we start our journey together, I want us to think about a question, a key question. And that key question for us to consider this morning as we look at this text, and thinking about uh, in this journey of Nehemiah of building God's vision. What is God's vision for us together? The first question that I want us to consider together today, over and over as we look at this text, is what does God need? What does God need from us to build his vision, not our vision, not my vision, but what does God need to build his vision here through us at First Church? What does God need? The first thing, we look at this text, that God needs to build this vision, and God's vision, as we talk about today, God's vision is to fix broken things, to fix broken people, to fix broken situations, to fix a broken world. That's why he sent Jesus Christ into this world, to fix Broken people, that's what he did through us, through Jesus Christ. And so, as we ask ourselves that question, 
understanding that he wants to fix things that are broken, what does God need? God needs first people that care. Look at what we, Nehemiah here. Nehemiah was a Jew living in exile, as we said. His nation's been invaded. His nation's been conquered. He's been dragged away to live in this foreign land. And, and I, Crystal and I, we can identify, and our boys and I can identify with waking up in a different place. We were on the, we were on the beach. Kids are out in the, in the water, playing in the water. We're s- sitting on these white, sandy, beautiful beaches. The sun's shining. It was a beautiful day. And Crystal and I were talking. I said to Crystal, Crystal, we are now living in a place that we used to drive 14 hours to get to. Uh, Now, you do have one issue that we discovered, and that is your state bird, uh, the mosquito. Uh, You guys are ate up with mosquitoes. Uh, And so we understand what it is to to live in a little bit of a different environment. Nehemiah understood that. He's living in this different place. But Nehemiah was a regular guy. He's... He was like us. He was, he was not some big politician. He, was not, he, was not, he wasn't a king. He wasn't a, 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 a real important guy. He, yes, he worked for the king, but he was an exile. He was a refugee, a regular guy. But look, look at verse 2. In verse 2, he asks them the question, what's going on back home? It reminds us that Nehemiah cared about his people. He cared about what was going on in his home. He cared about what was happening. He cared about God's agenda. And he knew God's agenda was something different than what was being experienced in his home. He was interested. Look at verses 3 and 4, and we see again that he cared. Look at his response in verses 3 and 4. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble. They're in disgrace. The walls are broken down. They've been, the gates burned with fire. And when he heard these things, what does Scripture tell us? It says that Nehemiah sat down and wept. Nehemiah cared about what was going on. And as we get started together, as we accomplish God's vision for First Church, it is imperative first God needs people here in this body that care. That care about God's agenda, both in this church, in this community, and in this world, and what God wants to accomplish through us. We need to care about that. That needs to be a part of our agenda. I remember growing up, there was uh, back in Illinois, southern Illinois, which, by the way, I felt like I was back in southern Illinois that first uh, I'll Fly Away uh, song. What a wonderful song. Um, where I grew up in Southern Illinois, we had a small church. Small church, small youth group. And uh, growing up, I was uh, a real shy, backward kid. I'm sure no one thought that I would ever be a pastor at that point in my life. And I remember a lady by the name of Jean Summers. Jean Summers was in her 60s when I was a teenager. But she was a volunteer in the youth ministry. Now, some of you that are in your 60s, you think, I could never do that. Jean Summers, she, you know, she didn't dress like all of us dressed. She didn't talk like all of us talked. But the thing that I remember about Jean Summers, this single 60-year-old woman that had lived in this small town her entire life, lived with her mother, no children of her own, never married, this woman... This ordinary woman cared about me. 
And I remember the way that she loved on me as a teenager, and that made a difference. Friends, will you be a person that cares? That's what God needs to accomplish his vision. He needs people that care. The second thing that he needs, as we look at this text, is he needs regular people that are asking the right questions. Nehemiah, he undoubtedly had a good thing going. I mean, he's working for the king, you know, he, and he was the cupbearer, which means he was probably the food tester, so he had some great job security. Not like anybody wants that job. Uh, so he had a pretty good thing going on. He had access to some powerful people. Definitely better off than his countrymen. How were they described? They're living in disgrace, living in trouble. Uh, is how they're described. And so life is pretty good. And when life is pretty good, it's easy for us to get kind of self-absorbed with what's going on. But notice what Nehemiah does. When he sees some buddies of his that have come from his home, he, again, he asks them the question, what is, what's going on? He asks them some, asks them some probing questions about his homeland. And that enables him to find out what is really going on. And as we seek to, again, accomplish God's vision together, both for this community and across our world, it is imperative that ordinary people like yourselves, like us, we're ordinary people, it's imperative that we ask the right questions. We need to be people that care, but also we must ask the right questions. Now, what would be your answer? If I were to ask you if you cared about lost people, what would be your answer if I asked you if you cared about families that live in this community that have to choose between medicine and food? What would, I, what would be your answer if I asked you as a church body if you cared about senior citizens who have to choose where they go in this community because they don't have enough money to put gas in their car so they have to choose whether to go get medicine or whether to go to the grocery store. Do you care that there are children in schools in this area that wear shoes two sizes too small because their parents can't afford shoes that fit? Do you care about the fact that there are marriages teetering on the verge of destruction around you? Do you care about that? And I'm sure as I ask you that question, do you care about lost people? Do you care about older adults? Do you care about children? Do you care about people whose lives are being shattered through situations? I know what your answer is. Your answer is absolutely we care about those things. If we were to go to any church in town, pretty much, and ask them similar things, they would say absolutely we care about those kind of things. Well, are we asking the right questions as individuals and as a church? Understanding what is going on in our community. What are the needs in our community? And asking God the right question of what, God, do you want our response to be? Let me answer some questions for you. As we think about who we are and in the community that we live in, did you know? I, did, I was reading this week. Statistics tell us that 22% of the households in St. Joseph have children under the age of 18 in those households, 22%. Statistics tell us also that uh, young people in this country under the age of 18, that 94, this is our youngest generation, that 94% of them do not know Jesus Christ personally. 
That's understanding and asking the right question. We know that in Benton Harbor, just across the river, the largest demographic in Benton Harbor is, is, is the demographic of, of, of people under the age of 15, and 34% of the people that live in Benton Harbor are under the age of 15. Again, the fields are ripe under harvest. Asking the right questions, we understand where we are here in this community. The reality of this community that we live in is that there is a profound racial and economic boundary, an issue that's here. And so we ask ourselves the question, God, what is your will for us? What is your vision for us? What is your vision for us being in this great community that we live in, this resort kind of feel to this community? And across the river is the poorest city in Michigan with the average per capita income of $8,900 in a city just across the river. 98.5% of the children in the Benton Harbor School District are on free or reduced, the free or reduced meal program. And so we ask ourselves the question again, what is going on in our community? What are the needs in our community? 162,000 people live in the Berean County, in, in Berean County. 53% of them are unchurched, identify themselves as unchurched. Now, just like if I'm standing in my garage, that doesn't make me a car. Neither does sitting in a church make me a Christian. So even though 47% of people in Berean County attend church somewhere, that still there's a percentage of those individuals that even though they sit in church every Sunday, do not know the person of Jesus Christ in a personal, life-changing way. And so, friends, we ask ourselves the question, God, what's going on in our community? What are the needs in our community? They are profound. They are before us. And we need to ask the right question. God, okay, the needs are here. What do you want us to do about it? And that's not even going into what's going on in our nation as a whole and what's going on in our world, and the needs are there. We have been called to be more than just a place to come and worship together on a Sunday. We've been called to reach our world for the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to be about. And so we've got to ask the right questions. And yes, we care. And we need to care enough to ask the tough questions like Nehemiah did. And we need to not just do that on a, on a community basis. We need to do that on a personal level. There are people in your sphere of influence that you need to be asking. We need to be asking the questions of what's going on. How can I help you? Where, what, what are the needs of your, in your life? Because God has, has directed you and has put you in places in your jobs, in your community, in your, on your street to reach people in his name. We had a neighbor, Tim, that lived next to us. And I noticed that Tim had moved back home to be with his father, who was, an, who was elderly. And I noticed I wasn't seeing his dad very much outside. And so I began to ask Tim, Tim, how's your dad? What's going on with your dad? And he began to tell me about what was going on with his father. And so every, you know, instead of just driving into the, into the, uh, into the, you know, the driveway and putting the car in the garage and, 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 and going home and, you know, getting away from, uh, from all the, the, the grind of, of the day and just forgetting about what's going on on my street. This guy that didn't go to my church, this, this older gentleman, didn't attend the church where we are. You make a choice, and we all make those choices. And I began to ask Tim about his dad, and that opened doors 
and he began to invite me into the home and his dad had his dad was dying had cancer and I had a chance to share with his father and to pray with his dad and affirm his relationship with Christ before he died you have just like I have people all around you that God wants you to not like Nehemiah could have, because everything was going good. He could have just, he saw some guys from his home. He could have just kind of, hey guys, how you doing? Hope things are going great, and got back to his own life. Instead, he asked some probing questions, and we must as well ask those probing questions. Regular people. God also needs some regular people in this congregation, not, that, not only that care, not only that ask the right questions, but also that have a heart for the kingdom. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, we see Nehemiah's heart. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. I cried, I mourned, I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And let's get that image in our mind. Here he is in this, in this comfortable setting. It says that he was in the citadel of Susa. So he's in the middle of this, this, this busy uh, area of the city. And he sees some guys. I'm a Packer fan. Do we have any Packer fans? I, I was a Packer fan before I came. Did I hear an awe? <laughs> you guys don't like Ohio State, and you don't root for the Packers? <laughs> I guess there is a city kind of in between if you're going around the lake before you get to Green Bay in there, that little town called Chicago. But if I were to run into some guys like this um, out in the, you know, out uh, uh, somewhere these packer guys you know the guys with the little triangles on their heads little cheese head guys if i were to run into guys like this you know i can identify with these guys and if i were to run into guys like this i could go up to them and say hey can we uh, can you tell me about what about the how how the season you think is going to go this year um uh, how, how are the packers are they going to have a winning season uh, but that's football. You guys, okay, we got, okay. Didn't know if you guys watched the Packers in Hungary. Um, but you, you know, I, I would be disappointed. I, I could sit down and cry when I, when, when I think about, you know, our, we were also a good running back, and I don't know if we're going to have a good receiver. Donald Driver's getting older. Brett Favre, is he over the hill? You know, I could sit down and cry thinking about uh, talking to some of these guys about what the future of the season's going to be. What breaks your heart? Hopefully it's more than how your favorite team's going to do. Hopefully your heart breaks for something other than when the stock market loses a couple hundred points in a week. Hopefully your heart breaks for things like what breaks the heart of God. Hopefully your heart breaks for things like lost souls. 53% of this community that is unchurched. Hopefully your heart breaks for lost people, for people that, that we as a congregation have the ability to reach and to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. I hope that your heart breaks, and I know that it does. Nehemiah loved his homeland. He, he loved the, the city of Jerusalem, and he asked about it. He, he, he loved the temple, the place where all the people would, would come and worship. He loved those hills, that, that setting that was his home. And when he heard what was going on in his home, he wept and he cried. When was the last time you, you, you wept over the lost? 
When was the last time your heart was broken and you wept and you mourned and you fasted and prayed because you were asking God, God, could I make a difference in this life that you have put in my path? When was the last time? And we see Nehemiah's heart. And so what causes us to weep? What causes us to grieve? Christ, as the head of the church, wants to see a church in this community that will step to the plate and be about the agenda, the business of the Great Commission, which is reaching into this community and into this world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we must ask the right questions. We must have a heart like God's. And the next thing that I would say to us is that God needs here at First Church regular people willing to talk to God about their role. Look at verse 5. In verse 5 it says, and th- uh, he said, And then I said, when we look at that, and then he prays to God. And in verse 9 we see what he's talking to God about. He talks to God about the fact that that our, my people have, have turned, had turned away from you, and he begins to confess the sins of the people we see in this, in this passage. In verse 11, notice the final verse of the chapter. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant. So he's been praying to God about all this, this situation. And to the prayer of your servant who, delight, who delights in, in, delight in revering your name. And listen to what he asks for. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So Nehemiah had been praying and he had been fasting and he had been talking to God about this situation, about the fact that his homeland was in disgrace and in ruins. And he got a word from God because now we see his response back to God. God had laid on him, on his heart, the, the awareness, the vision that he was to go back and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And so he says to God, okay, God, I know that you want me to go talk to the king to get time off, talk to my boss. You know that you want me to go to him and talk to him and, and get some resources and go back. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what he's going to say. You have called me to do this. I know I have to do it. And he says, God, I know that that's the vision that you have for me. Please give me favor as I go to do that. And so what does God need? God needs Regular people willing to talk to God about their role. You have a role. I have a role. I may be pastor here, but but we together, every single person in these pews today and in the chairs in 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 the fellowship hall, in the gym today, every single one of us has a purpose, and we must begin to talk to God about what our role needs to be. We've been unpacking boxes for the last two weeks, and... Um, if you've been by my house, and I understand a lot of you have, uh, uh, if you've been by there, there's a little shed off to the side. I've never had my own little shed before. Uh, some people tell me that's where I go when I get in trouble. But anyway, I've got this little shed. And in my little shed, I got all these boxes, and Crystal's inside, and she's hanging pictures, and she's putting clothes up, and she's doing all this stuff. And she had a couple people that were there helping her, and so she's inside, and they're real busy. And so I had been quietly out in the garage. I'd been getting my boxes, and I'd been unpacking my tools and the yard equipment. And, and I got all done. I had all these boxes packed up. And this was the thought, honestly, that I had sitting in my little shed. I thought, you know, 
maybe I could just close the door and turn the radio on and maybe I could just hide out here. I wonder how long it would be until Crystal comes looking for me. Because if I go inside, I'm going to get a job that I know that I don't want. She's going to make me do something and hang something. or do, I'm going to have to unpack something that I don't I want to have to do that. I, the tools are fun, you know. <laughs> do not, don't we also get that way? God, you know, things are going pretty good. I, I'm kind of enjoying what I'm doing. What would happen if we as a church, as individuals, began to ask God, God, just like me, I didn't want to go inside. God, what do you want my role to be? We must begin to ask ourselves that question. And the last thing that I would throw out to you, look at verse 9. He says, and if we return to him and obey his commands, the last thing that I would throw out is that God needs here at First Church people who are willing to walk in obedience. That's what he said. If we will walk in obedience, God will bring us back. God will begin to work through us. God will do it. And so, what do we have? What have we talked about? God needs regular people who what? That care? God needs regular people that are asking the right questions, that have a heart for God's kingdom, that are willing to talk to God about their roles. And each of those things has something in common. A friend and mentor of mine used to say this to me. He said, the church has the has this proclivity to live in the land of talk. All of those things that we just shared about are the land of talk. In the church, we have a tendency to camp out in the land of talk. If you remember Kierkegaard's, he, he, had, a, he had a story about uh, a duck church. And the duck church had a duck pastor and the ducks would waddle in every week and they would sit in their little duck pews and the duck preacher would preach eloquent sermons about how they were ducks and about how ducks can soar and ducks can fly and about all of the wonderful attributes of ducks and then he writes that every Sunday the ducks would waddle back out of church into their little duck existences forgetting that they had the ability to soar. Living in the land of talk, we will waddle around as a church. The poet Rickle said, thinking is easy, acting is difficult. And what we see the transition into is the transition of walking in obedience is a transition into the land of do. And we must live in the land of do, First Church. Together, walking in obedience to realize God's vision for this church together. Final thing, and I'm done. I want you to look back at the text. And if, as you look at the text, there are, the scripture mentions two people by name in this first chapter. Nehemiah, and who's the other guy? Hananiah, or whatever, however you pronounce his name. They both knew what was going on. The friend, that's the friend that he talked to. They both knew what was going on in Jerusalem. One, Nehemiah, made a decision to do something. The other is never mentioned again. Probably went back to his life as he had prior to this conversation. 
Nehemiah was moved. Nehemiah made a decision that his life was going to count for something. First church, week one, I want to call you as your pastor. Together, let's live a life, let's be a church that counts for something, that makes a difference eternally, that's not playing church, that's not just the country club kind of setting. We must be a people walking in obedience, living in the land of dew, making a decision like Nehemiah, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whatever wall you want me to build, I'm going to build your kingdom with everything that is within me, and I'm willing to give up anything to follow you. I want to call you to that kind of living. And so this morning, let's start. And I want to ask you to start in a couple of ways. First, I want you to start praying that God would give each of us a burden that wakes us up in the middle of the night, that, that a burden that we weep over what God weeps over, and that God begins to put a burden on our lives and in our hearts that shakes us out of our slumber. And we get excited like we were this morning, excited about what God is doing. I want you to get excited not just about what God is doing as a church, but what is God going to do through you as an individual? My job, our job as staff, is to equip the saints for works of service. I am excited about that role, that task, of having the privilege of equipping you, us, together to do ministry in this world for God. So first, we need to pray. Start praying. We need to start asking the questions of the, in this community, secondly, and figuring out who God wants us to reach and how he wants us to do it. Where are the needs? And be like Jesus, who said to live your life before men and let your light shine so that they see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What good deeds do we need to do in this community to shine the light of Christ right here? Start asking the questions. And then start asking the question of God, God, what do you want my specific role to be and respond by moving outside of the land of talk and let us camp out church, first church, in the land of do. So my very simple question this morning for us on week one, will you join me? Will you join me in realizing the vision, God's vision, that he has for us together. Let's stand as we pray. Father, God, I thank you for a wonderful, dynamic, exciting, gifted, vibrant congregation that you have blessed this community with. And Father, to whom much has been given, much is expected. And Father, we take that expectation wholeheartedly. And Father, we begin a journey this Sunday with you, with Christ as the head of this church. We begin this journey seeking, God, the direction, the vision that you want for us as individuals and as a church. And God, we come to you with excitement about what you're going to do through us as we walk in obedience to you. Thank you, Father, for what you're birthing in this place. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. This morning, if you have a need, if you have something you want to pray about, these altars are open. But let us respond today and say to God, 
I am yours. I will go where you want me to go. I will be what you want me to be. As we sing, you respond to the Lord.